I'm Casey. And I'm Emily. And you're listening to A Sprinkle of Sugar, A Dash of Murder, a true crime podcast with an element of baking. And what was the bake this week? So this week we are doing Jonestown. And for those of you that don't know the reference, um, drinking the Kool-Aid, we're going to all learn about that today. So that was the first thing that came to mind. But Kool-Aid is kind of boring to make. Yeah. Um, (laughs) It's pretty simple. I don't really have to give instructions on how to make Kool-Aid. So I decided that I could use, like, I could make, like, a Jello, And then we realized that um, with the rainbow, what was the reference? Yeah, so he likes to call his congregation and, like, his family, um, like, a rainbow family. And I'll get into that a little later, but... Yeah, so Emily will talk more about that. But anyway, so it's his rainbow family. And I'm making a rainbow jello mold. Except the thing is, um, the store was not selling yellow or violet. So in this rainbow, instead of it being Roy G. Biv, it's Ro G. B. Ro G. B. Alright, so um, yeah, like I said, every week we post the recipe. So. We'll be posting it. Um, the one weird ingredient, because I feel like every week there's something new in there. Mm-hmm. There's yogurt in this. I didn't think oh. that Jello molds. I thought it would just be like the gelatin in the water, but you can. Al- there's also yogurt, and it kind of adds a cool, like milky uh, layer. Ooh. And so I just layer it into the Jello mold. Um, also, unfortunately, Emily just gets to sample <laughs> the raspberry, the blue Jello. Because I didn't realize until about 10 minutes ago that after it's all done, you have to let it set overnight. So, <laughs> sorry, Emily, you don't get any. But it's going to be great to show off to to my in-laws. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to be like, wow, this girl. here, but... <laughs> I'm unless, glad you have that moment for you. <laughs> unless it's a complete fail and it just ends up being a pile of jello, which has definitely That's things fine. things have happened. I mean, mm-hmm. Emily can tell you with me trying to build a gingerbread house. <laughs> it just ends I have up the being video proof of that still. a pile of cookies. <laughs> Because I got really frustrated, just started squishing cookies yeah. between my fingers. She just, <laughs> she just put a video of her with gingerbread like in her fist, and she's shaking them at the sky like, ah! You know what's oh, so good? Just, I know that this has nothing to do with it, but when you get gingerbread, or when you want to make a gingerbread house, get the kits. It's so yeah. much easier. You don't use architecture and dimensions. Oh. And, and you have to make sure when you're making a gingerbread house to cut everything and and uh, roll it out the exact same size or else it's going to bake a different size. Yeah. And so it's not... Maybe... I, I don't know. I'll try... I'll never try that again. What am I saying? I'm never, <laughs> never doing that again. <laughs> it was a mess on all accounts. Anyway, that has nothing to do with it. The jello is going to be beautiful. Yeah. My road G bit. <laughs> I'm excited to see it from a picture. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can sample some of the yogurty raspberry. Yeah. Yeah, I'll do that. That's all I have left. <laughs> okay. Alright, so Jonestown. Yes. Let's get into it. So James Warren Jones, who later 
goes by Jim Jones, um, was born in Crete, Indiana, and he was known as like a regular church grow grower. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I speak uh, church goer growing up, and he was born in 1931 to a very poor family. It's the Great Depression, and his mother was very religious, and she really resented her poor status. So she always made a point to tell him, her son, like, you're going to be amazing, you're going to do great things, and you're going to be super important someday. And, like, that's not a that's not a bad thing for a mom to tell her children, yeah, you know? absolutely. But he kind of took it, like, I need to be the best person in the world, you know? Like, later on, and you kind of, you'll see that. Oops. And, um, but he was really strange, even in childhood, and... This is something I did not know about him. But um, some childhood friends said that he would, like, experiment on animals as a kid. That's always a sign. Did he also set fires? No. Did he pee the bed? (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, those are the the other ones, yeah. Okay, go on. But he he didn't do that, but he held funerals for roadkill for animals on the side of the road. Well, I used to, I, I used to hold, what? <laughs> I'm not exposing myself here. <laughs> kind of am. Yeah, you are. I, uh, I used to do that, like, if I found, like, a dead mouse, I'd bury it and hold, like, a little funeral for it. That's actually how I learned about Death. decomposition. Oh. Just because, God, I don't know why I'm even saying oh. this. I'm not a psychopath, but... <laughs> But let me tell you something psychotic about me. (laughs) Well, let me expose myself. Um, You know, like, when you're little, you don't understand, like, something goes in the ground, and it's buried, and whatever. Flowers grow beautiful, whatever. You don't really understand what really goes into it. Yeah. So when I'd find these, well, I found a mouse once. I buried it. And a couple days later... I got really curious because I'm like, hey, how's that mouse doing? I mean, oh, is no. it still dead? I don't know. Like, I, I didn't understand decomp. It was horrible. Oh, God. <laughs> horrible. I should. I learned. You don't dig up. You don't dig it back up. Just Once leave it. Once it's in the ground, leave it. Yeah. You don't, you don't do that. So, at least I learned my lesson. I never did it again. But yeah. that was something okay. weird that happened. I don't know if <laughs> you should keep this. I'm not crazy. (laughs) Okay. Well, where you and Jim Jones differ (laughs) is that when he did the funerals, he wanted, it was more for performance. Like, he would gather around children around town, like, come to this funeral so he could give this big, I hit the mic, Um, he could give this big, like, performance so uh, it wasn't oh, yeah. that for you no so i held a private funeral services <laughs> admittance of one so. <laughs> um and one friend said he made them kill a cat one time <gasps> that's messed up yeah that's messed up now that's messed up yeah so he was also as a child very fixated and obsessed with hitler and admired him for committing suicide um because he was like yeah you have you have to go down for your beliefs you're not gonna get caught by the government or whoever you know and so wow 
I mean, he learned that as a kid, and we'll see that travels on into adulthood. Huh. Um, so he was also obviously very obsessed with religion. He practiced ministering in the woods with other children. Like, he'd just gather them up and be like, we're going to meet in the woods and have a service. And he was the only kid they... The adults, like, always said it was, like, odd because he was the only kid in town who, like, walked around with a Bible on him at all times and, like, was super into it. And most kids, like, aren't as children, you I know. know? Well, and the, the weird thing is, like, as a parent, you'd be seeing that and be like, wow, my kid's such a good influence. Right. So, you know, yeah. like, it's really religious. It's not a bad thing. I mean. Until it is. Until, <laughs> until yeah. Yeah. Um, so... He graduated from Butler University and decided to enter ministry. So he's actually ordained when he's older. And he preached about... So this is like the 50s now. And he was very against racism. So he preached against it. And he had an integrated congregation in Indiana, which was extremely, extremely rare at the time. So he was very popular for that. And he had mostly a predominantly African-American congregation because they thought, look at this white man preaching that we should be equal and that he's accepting us into his church in Indiana where we normally wouldn't be. So that made him very popular, you know? And he was seen as a really great person for that. Right, absolutely. And that is a good and thing. And that's, uh, <laughs> once yeah. again, it's a good thing. Yeah. Until it's not, which we will come to. Yeah. Um, and he felt a connection to Pentecostal. So he was a Pentecostal church. And because he thought that sec- sect of religion was very like the outcasts. And he's like, I want to embrace all of the outcasts in society. And if you don't know, Pentecostal is their sermons are very much based in faith healing. That's like their oh. big thing where, you know bring in someone who can't walk and then you touch them and they can suddenly walk again and they're very much into that kind of um that's the basis of their sermons is like um salvation and faith healing so that's what they focus on okay yeah i didn't i didn't realize that i was gonna ask that yeah so he met a woman named marceline who was like this very very nice woman um she was super religious and she saw him as like this super good guy and i mean look at him he's a minister and so they were together and they did get married and yeah so marceline is with him like this whole time okay and but she was known as a very good person so um in 1955 he established the wings of deliverance which is a pentecostal church that would later become the people's temple which is what everyone remembers it named as now. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was only 23 years old at this time. So, oh, gosh. Yeah, he started very young. And he's a very young minister with a huge congregation because of his beliefs. And Yeah, that's really impressive. Yeah. And he worked with the homeless, and he was really ex- respected for it. Um, and in the early 60s, he served as director of Indianapolis's Human Rights Commission. So he was doing all these great things, and um, the community thought he was really great. He um, 
took it upon himself to try and integrate Indianapolis, which was known as one of the most segregated cities in the Midwest at the time. Mm -hmm. So this was very, you know, good of him. (laughs) So it just seems like, it seems like with him, everything is, he's going for the outcasts and he wants to, he wants to bring everyone together. Yeah. So it's, yeah, I mean, he's really impressive work so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like I said, he believed in faith healing and performing miracles, and that kind of performance was, like, huge in their sermons. So, what he would do, this is where it starts to get a little shady, he would hire people on staff to, like, be the sick ones, quote-unquote, you know, mm. who weren't really sick. And he said, he would say... Um, you have to do things that are wrong to show the right in the world and the bigger picture to get these people on board with it. Like, um, he's like, when people see you being healed, they're going to want to be saved. They're going to want to join the church and join us. So, like, that's why we were doing this, to get people in the church. And so they were like, oh, that's a good thing. You know? Yeah, so I wonder how many people it. actually kind of fell for that or went along with that. Um, or how many, n- not necessarily how many people fell for it how many people did not and um, yeah we're like no you know what i'm, I'm gonna head out yeah like mm, maybe not but one thing he would do uh if he said you had cancer he would come up to you and kind of shove like kind of on the slide when no one was really looking a piece of like raw chicken in your mouth and then he would have you spit it out and be like, oh, look, the cancer. They just spit the cancer out. And it's like this glob that's like, it looks like it could be an organ from your body or something, but it's a part of like chicken. Look, I spit out the cancer. No, I have salmonella. Yeah, right? <laughs> um, so that's gross. And he claimed he could see the future and that he knew people's past and that he was a mind reader. And he was actually able to convince a lot of people of this because really he was just eavesdropping on people all the time he went in people's trash to find like documents and mail and stuff that they threw away so he would know things about them and he had also like spies in the church he would be like hey just find out whatever you can about these people so that in the next sermon he could bring something up like hey i heard your son is going through blah 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 i can help you with that and they'd be like wow how'd you know you know it's always amazing to me how people can, like, really just fall for that, you know? Like, I don't know, without a second thought, it's amazing this group think. I know. Happens. I was thinking about that. I mean, am I just a more of a skeptical person because I like this true crime stuff and I'm, I'm kind of, like, always on the lookout? Yeah. Or maybe it's just, like, in our day and age we're taught to be more weary of people. Yeah. Because I think that's definitely a part of it. Yeah. So other things he would do, he had people in his staff fake healing with spine injuries. So he would wheel them in on a wheelchair and like, you can walk. And then they'd stand up and everyone would be like, oh my God. And um, See, that's more, that's more believable. Not necessarily believable, but then sp- rather than spitting out cancer. Yeah. Yeah. And he also claimed like he can make the blind people see again. And stuff like that. All sorts of fake healing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was kind of at this part 
of his career, he started seeing how popular he was getting with this faith healing. And um, so he really saw that as an opportunity to grow his church and he started to become obsessed with needing to be the absolute best preacher Mm. the best so he needs to have the biggest congregation so he becomes obsessed with like um not tolerating any views that were not his own and really wanting to start getting control over people at this point and that's when his wife marceline started to see him a little different and unfortunately she's still in this marriage but she Mm -hmm. is seeing like this isn't what I thought you were, you know? Yeah. And to try and kind of keep him on the straight and narrow also, but also she wanted a family. She decided, um, and this whole time he's preaching about integration, integration. She's like, well, we should uphold that in our family. So she decides she wants to adopt children from all different races and call themselves a rainbow family. Oh. Which is where that comes from. I see. So they adopted a Korean child, and they then adopted a black baby, and this is crazy. They were the very first couple in Indianapolis to adopt a black child into a white family. Wow. Yeah. And they named him Jim Jones Jr. JJJ. Oh. Yeah. But that's like... That's like a milestone of like civil rights history that is unfortunately to this crazy person. Yeah, come on. Save for someone that's actually good. Yeah. Um, so they had a huge family because um, they adopted a bunch of children. And then they had one biological son, Stephen. And then uh, Stephen later says he loves his family. He loves his brothers and sisters. But he believes his father wanted to adopt all of them for show more than for his love of children you know yeah. like look what i've done i've i'm taking in all these children from different races like i'm so great and so that's what his son believes oh that's sad to the black community there at the time like i said his message of equality was appealing and he started using this rainbow family um not just to apply to his own kids now but also to his congregation and uh okay yeah and one of his one of his former members said to hear a white man say that like we're all part of a rainbow together and stuff like that was like really groundbreaking so that's why they joined the church and Mm -hmm. stuff like that um and at this point also he's persuading restaurants in indianapolis to integrate and he managed to get tons and tons of restaurants to integrate just by because he was that persuasive and he said you know you would really earn more money if you let more people if you were more inclusive and stuff like that um that was part of his argument and somebody in an interview i saw said and this kind of like blew my mind because he's right he said if jim jones were to die right then like if he got hit by a bus or something he would be known today as one of the leaders of the civil rights movement in the midwest wow because that would be what he was remembered for and i was like (sighs) that's right i mean we wouldn't remember him as a crazy person if he died like right then because he was doing good things i know i keep on thinking like i mean you haven't gotten to the part where he becomes a really really bad person i'm not gonna spoil it to anyone that doesn't know jonestown but 
Um, and I just want to know what what is his end goal here, or what is he really? Is he actually? Does he actually care for these people? And is he actually? I mean, why would you go to that much trouble for integration if you didn't? If you didn't believe that it was important? Yeah. So, I so I don't know. I feel like he did. He did really care, but it got so distorted and the actually caring about it turned into wanting to control I see. everyone you know okay. i feel like that's probably part of what happened yeah okay now he's this is when the crazy like we already saw like the faith healing is not true it's right. all a lie right but now he starts getting like paranoia in his head at this point um he starts saying that you know he was super religious but all of a sudden he's saying the bible is full of lies and if you listen to the bible you're a traitor to this country and things like that like i don't know at some point like in his brain he just flipped the switch like the bible is no good so we don't know what it was because he this was the kid that would carry a bible around with him everywhere yeah, yeah. it's not exactly um I don't know. One thing, it just like, he just decided one day the Bible was a lie. Hmm. And I think it, I think um, in the interviews that I was watching, it had something to do with if it wasn't from his own mouth and his own preachings, he was no longer interested. He wanted everyone to believe exactly what he wanted, not someone else's words in the Bible. I guess that kind of makes sense because that allows him to manipulate people better. Yeah. Sure. You know, when they don't have this other evidence to be like, well, why are you contradicting the Bible? Now he can contradict the Bible because the Bible's nonsense to him. Mm-hmm. That makes exactly. sense. Uh, he began this ideology with his congregation to fear the rich and to hate the rich. And he was like, it's disgusting and shameful that some people have so much money and so much clothes and kind of... To kind of drive that point in, he would wear, like, the same outfit all the time. Like, look at me. I'm so humble. I only have this one outfit. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking, okay, I mean, you have a church, like, a pretty ch- successful church. Yeah. Pretty big family. I mean, it's not like he was really very poor, right? I'm no. Assuming- he really starts fearing the government at this point as well. It's the 1950s and this Cold War panic is going around, you know, the whole country. But that really fueled his belief that an apocalypse was coming. So he starts preaching about what to do if an apocalypse happens. And it's very doomsday at this point. Gotta get your go bag. Have yeah, a shelter. Yep. Yeah. Uh, he was convinced nuclear war was coming. In 1965, he claimed that he saw in a vision a whole nuclear holocaust happening. And he was like, you know what? The place that is going to have the least amount of bombing is the West Coast. So we're going to go there. So in 1965, he moved with 70 families that were followers of his church to Northern California in Ukiah. I think is how you say it. Mm-hmm. And it was then that he adopted the name The Prophet and became obsessed with power and started to turn it more into a cult than a church why do you think he went with the west coast i don't know he just said in a vision like it's gonna be safe there that's silly because i feel like for being on the coast you're actually in more danger 
and then like if you were in the middle of the country somewhere yeah like why don't you just move away from a large city who knows and then that kind of and then you're fine pretty much i mean in the middle of the country in a large city or in a in a small town yeah that's where you're safe i don't think being on the coast is necessarily you know the, the wisest safe, the safest point to yeah i move from indiana to california it's praying it's just <laughs> mashed potatoes i don't know <laughs> <laughs> that's um, what i should have made this week mashed potatoes yeah. for his brain <laughs> he said in one of his sermons i maintain to be and declare to be your only savior he's starting this ideology i am your savior not god or jesus like me you're gonna pray to me and stuff like that which is obviously super dangerous mentality Mm -hmm. and so he started doing the same thing in redwood valley which is where they moved um he met with local officials there to integrate once again because he had done all this work in indianapolis and now he wanted to integrate the west coast so he started getting a lot of followers that were politicians lawyers accountants um you know like official people Mm -hmm. of redwood valley who were believing in him and that's also pretty dangerous when you can convince these really smart people mm-hmm. to follow you and believe in you. That's dangerous. And then I mean, being if, able you, to, if you have bad ideas like him. Right. And then being able to say, hey, I know this person. This person agrees with me. You know, he's able to kind of name drop people, which is... Yeah. Which will then have more followers and more, more, more followers. Mm-hmm. I'm stupid. So, uh, at this point, they start living communally, which um, a big part of that was that if they if anybody worked, the paycheck would go directly to him and into the quote-unquote church. So, he's like, I we're all going to live together in like these trailers and stuff like that. We're all going to live together and I'll pay for your housing and therefore you give me your you know quote-unquote tithing which is like towards the church but really he was taking like your whole paycheck so that you depended on him completely and people just did it they just were like okay here's my paycheck this is what i earned this week i'm giving it to you towards the church but like it was really for him just an easier lifestyle with less responsibilities i don't know like i I just don't understand what the draw to that is i don't know he started making everybody dress the same and they all got haircuts when they joined the church. So they all basically looked the same. And they had to conform completely to this uh, look and to this group. And he started an us versus them mentality. So it was no longer like, we're just this open group of people. We're open-minded. It's literally... If you are not part of us, you are going to hell and you're evil and you're against us. So it's driving this fear into people's heads. You know, that kind of makes sense why he would go for the outcasts. Because now it's like, okay, you know, they don't care about it, about you guys anyway. It's, right. it's us. We're a team. We're a family. And, you know, that I can kind of see people, you know, feeding more into that because now they have someone that's there for them. And it's... And it's a white man, which at that point, like, no one really set up for them like that. Yeah. 
And I'm not only talking about um, African Americans I'm talking about, or like the black community, I'm talking about, you know, people that were impoverished. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, so they, so he makes everyone else the bad guys, clearly. You know, the yeah. rich people, the people that won't accept others. Yeah, exactly. Another drastic change he made was to show how dedicated you were, you would, like, brag about how much sleep you got. So I saw this in an interview. One woman who was a former member of the church, she said that they would literally have, um, like, their sermons would go, like, super late at night, and he deliberately did that so that they would be sleep-deprived because when you're sleep-deprived, your brain is not functioning at a good level so you get it's easier to manipulate someone and control them if they're not thinking straight it's like the same as being drunk yeah and so this woman said that was a way you could prove that you were dedicated to the church like i stayed up all night praying and i stayed up all night during a service and i got two hours of sleep well i got an hour and 45 of sleep so i'm more dedicated than you and like that was something that was happening that reminds me of college like just sometimes like if you're complaining to like a fellow student like i only got four hours of sleep oh yeah and someone else being like really because i only got two hours right then oh my gosh you guys slept I didn't even sleep. I yeah. haven't slept for a week. That's kind of the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, why, why do we do that? <laughs> I hate that culture. It's not great. <laughs> yes. Deprive yourself of sleep. <laughs> no, I always made sure to get as many hours as I needed. <laughs> I love sleeping. Anyway. Um, he controlled romantic relationships within the cult. I mean, they're not calling it that, but it is. Um, what they ate, when they ate. So they had very strict, like, you can eat it this time, and you can only date pers- date this person or marry this person, whatever you wanted to do, with his approval. Oh, my gosh. So you had to, like, go to him if you wanted to be with someone in the someone yeah. else in the congregation? Mm-hmm. And if he was like, no, nah, I, I, I think you should be with this person instead, they would, like, just do that. Uh, like not always but like he was really starting to try and do that with people Uh like the people who were really with him like totally agreed to it yeah yeah one woman did not give a name understandably who was in the church she kept writing jim jones love letters and about how much she loved him and supported him and it got to a point where he was really annoyed by this (laughs) and he so to punish her he made her stand up in congregation in front of like everybody and strip naked and he said why would i ever find you attractive look at you and he encouraged everyone to laugh at her and start making fun of her body and making fun of like everything about her and he was saying like awful things and then she wrote him a letter apologizing for her behavior when he did this really effed up thing that's a horrible horrible thing to do to somebody i have no words my jaw is just on the table right now yeah that's so messed up can you imagine your preacher of your church doing that to you and saying those things about you like yeah oh let's and she wrong was and clearly, she clearly must have had some kind of 
some issues to begin with yeah because of the fact that i mean she's writing letters to a married man yeah and then him to just publicly humiliate her like that i mean if you want to then call her out in front of the whole congregation but making her strip naked this woman that's infatuated with you yeah oh so sad yeah that's really gonna mess someone up and that oh yeah for sure and that event caused quite a few people to defect from the church wow um because i saw i was watching a lot of interviews and stuff and this interview of this one woman she said i just couldn't believe like how could someone do that to somebody this isn't this, that wasn't a kind act at all. This is supposed to be a church. He's a minister. And so that actually caused quite a few people to leave the church, hmm. that specific event, because they were so shocked and horrified by something that cruel to somebody. Sometimes that t- it t- takes something like that for people to like snap out of it and realize, because then they just pile one thing on top of another, you know? Yeah. Like then all of a sudden everything comes becomes clear. Yeah. So Jim Jones' son, his biological son, Stephen said that as a kid and growing up he would more than once see his father in bed with men and women from the church so his dad's bisexual now and he always has been and he's just now like um and at this point he's trying to keep that secret because he's married to marceline and everybody loved marceline she was like you know the pastor's wife who who mm-hmm. was so sweet and everyone truly loved so he didn't want people to see it as a betrayal but yeah he is taking advantage of his congregation and sleeping with them on did, the sly did he did she know that he was doing this not right away but she does know later yeah Ugh, that's so gross <clears throat> yeah so 1971 he moved again his church moved again to San Francisco. Um, not sure why, just decided to. Probably because it's a bigger population there and mm-hmm. he wanted more people. Um, and that is where he met famous people and like even more important people. And actress Jane Fonda wo- wrote letters to him, like commending him for his like integration work and stuff like that. And she's like this famous actress, you know? Wow. And I mean, yeah, he was he was doing great work. Mm-hmm. And from the outside, you could see that. Yeah. Then Marceline got a back injury after this move, and she could no longer have sex with him because of this injury. So Stephen, his son, said he specifically remembers Jim Jones sat down with his children, and I don't know why he would do this. He told them hey, your mom is no longer able to have sex with me, so I need to do it with other people. Like, I have to. (sighs) So you're just going to have to get used to other women coming in our house. And his son, like, recalls that meeting. Like, so he's no longer pretending after her injury. To He's, like, fully openly admitting it. Gross. Yeah, it's disgusting. To Like, disgusting to do in general, and then to just, like, have a discussion about it with your kids? Ew. And, and Stephen says he would often hear his father with other women, women and men and, and men. Yeah. Ugh. And that's just like, whoever, ever, ever wants to be in that position as a kid. Nobody. No, 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 no. 
it's not normal and one of his most i don't know important or well-known relationships with was with a woman named caroline layton who was married to a man but um they also had like she was one of his like you know top mistresses i guess and he was honestly with her a lot of the time but also pretended that everything was fine with marceline to his congregation too so he's open about it that he has mistresses but also is like yeah i still love marceline she's still my the pastor's wife you know to try and keep a little bit of this facade going which is so weird poor marceline like yeah. i wonder how she felt during all of this not great no she didn't like it but unfortunately she stayed and he jim jones has become very addicted to drugs at this point and his son said the more he got into drugs the more open with his sexual relationships with the congregation it was because when you're on drugs obviously you just your inhibitions and like your limits that you wouldn't go to are shot to hell right so he just doesn't care at all what anyone thinks and it started becoming like it was an honor to be with him so people would just line up to be with him and like yeah nasty jim jones i know in 1972 they were out i think for a picnic i know they were him and a couple of other followers were like out for a day in somewhere it looked like a picnic mm-hmm. or it seemed like it, something like that and he was shot jim jones was and the followers he fell to the ground and was like bleeding everywhere and the followers carried him into some sort of cabin or something i don't know it's kind of confusing so sorry i didn't get the details right Uh they carried him inside somewhere thinking he was like for sure going to die like this is a grievous wound Mm -hmm. um is that the right word i don't know a bad wound (laughs) (laughs) um and he's like okay everyone just just leave me and they're so they're he's in this room by himself and they're all sitting out in like you know a common room of whatever and then he comes out in a different shirt walking and is totally fine and he holds up his shirt that he was shot in and there's blood and there's a bullet wound or a bullet hole in the shirt and then he shows them there's his stomach and there's like nothing there but like a little dent in his skin and he's like i healed myself look at me i was on the brink of death and i just healed myself and everyone is like whoa because they all saw the wound and it's still not known what happened. Obviously, he faked it. Yeah. Somehow. He did not heal himself. But how he did it is still, like, not known. Or who was involved in helping him pull that off. So, that was just, like, a really weird event. No way. That is... I mean, honestly, if I was one of those people and I saw that all of a sudden, I at that point, I probably would have fallen for it. You know? Yeah, I mean, if you go that drastic into it and, like... They said his skin even had a little dent in it. Like, there really was a wound there. Maybe at that point they were just kind of imagining things. Like, any little freckle or any little scratch would be like, oh, maybe that was from a previous incident. That's like, that's true too. Like, right now, a healed scar. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. I don't know. 
I, I you know, like, I'm try- I'm quiet this episode because I'm trying my best not to be, you know, judgmental of the people that kind of fell for it mm-hmm. because, you know, I'm not, I wasn't in that situation or hearing what he was saying. So, like, who knows? Maybe, like, I don't want to call those people crazy because I don't, he, yeah. I mean, if he's believable, especially the fact that he gets shot and then comes up like totally fine totally fine at that point i'd be like yes okay i believe you yeah and then i yeah we all want to think i would never do that i would never do that but in all reality you never know until you're in that situation you can't fully say for sure you know especially yeah especially when you include the group think yeah where if everyone around you believes the same thing it's so hard to have a different opinion. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And so one night, one woman, Laura Cole, she was nodding off during a service at, that was at 1 a.m. So understandably, you're probably tired. And she woke up to Jim Jones pointing a gun at her, saying, if you nod off one more time, I'll shoot you. Oh, that'll wake you up. Yeah. <laughs> and... So it was this whole, you know, back to the sleep deprivation thing. Now, it wasn't just threats. It was like, I mean, that is that is a threat. But it it's getting more severe punishment mm-hmm. for things like that. And this, so one woman who is instrumental in kind of leading this pack against him. She was in the church. Her name is Grace Stowen. And she was married. And she had a child. And it's commonly believed that her child was not with her husband it was with jim jones and he believed it himself that this child whose name is john is his oh so grace left the church her and her husband left because they were like we're not a part of this anymore we can't be Mm -hmm. but jim jones kept john and (gasps) yeah refused to let him go so they left with their child still oh wait with no, with their child still in his custody? cult. Yeah, <gasps> in his custody. So she went to the media, because they're both afraid of him. So they went to the media and started talking about what was happening here with his congregation. They're trying to get the word out. They're like, he has our son. Like, it doesn't, she's like, it doesn't matter if it, the kid it might be his, who knows. But he's my son and i want him and um so she starts her and her husband's kicking up a storm and that they are instrumental in getting the public to finally look at jim jones as not a good person so it's the 70s now and his church is accused because of grace and her husband and a few others of financial fraud physical abuse of members and mistreatment of children Wow. Uh, Amongst other things. Good. Yeah. And it turns out, through their testimonies, he was illegally... I mean, everyone knew this was happening. He was illegally taking money from cult followers for his own use, claiming it was for the church, and then putting it away for himself, you know? It was really Grace and her husband. It was their defection and them going to the media that he became even more obsessed with loyalty. Right. And... It was when this happened, when he found out that he told everybody, I'm going to give you all a treat, this really nice 
drink that everyone can have. And so he gave everybody this, uh, I don't know, juice or something. And he, after everyone had tried it, he's like, it's poisoned. We're all going to die in 45 minutes. And when the 45 minutes were up, he was like, I was just kidding. There's no poison. We're not going to die. He just wanted to see what people would do if people would get angry at him or if they would stay loyal to him and um, just accept that they were going to die. So that was like a test of loyalty for him. So what So what did he do with the people that started freaking out and getting mad? Um, he basically... I, you know, I didn't find too much about that because it seemed like everyone just kind of stayed after that. Even though, like, yeah. that would be a major red flag. So I'm not sure, but I think based off what I saw, it would have been like, you need to get your shit together, make making more threats against them. Like, mm-hmm. if you're not loyal, I'll beat you up or something like that. I don't know. I don't know I for started, sure. Yeah, I mean. I could see myself, like, excuse myself to the bathroom and, like, trying to puke, like, mm-hmm. trying to... But then I also, if you're convinced that you're about to die, you'd want to be surrounded by the people you know. Like, what are you supposed yeah. to do? Just go running down the street and then... Yeah. And at this at this point, they're still in California? Yeah, they're in San Francisco. Okay. Um, then it this incident happened. Um, a man named Bob Houston, who had left the church... He died in mysterious circumstances. Oh. Um, it's officially he fell off a train, and that's how he died. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people who, like, defected from the church believed that Jim Jones had him killed because he had left the People's Temple and was friends with Congressman Leo Ryan and had contacted the congressman to tell him about what was going on so in response to him betraying jim jones like that they believe he had him killed i believe that yes (laughs) an expose was published by a reporter from some survivors who talked about beatings the fraud abuse and broken laws and after this expose was published jim jones was like top-notch paranoid like the pressure from the accusations and the media and he was like we're leaving we're leaving we're going to guyana south america Ah! they'll never find us so and the drugs the drugs probably influenced that too oh yeah for sure (laughs) i mean okay going back this is kind of going back kind of far but i'm thinking about like his whole freak out with the loyalty thing Mm mm-hmm i mean because it's not like this was just like a member of their church or checking it out like Clearly, she had a, a an affair with him because mm-hmm. for him to believe that it's his child. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not necessarily like, like, he's thinking, okay, she's completely loyal to me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's just a, a random thought that I just, that popped into my brain a second mm-hmm. ago. Uh, he promised everybody that in Guyana, it was going to be a total utopia free from the city and all they were going to live in the jungle and it was just going to be them and it would be this paradise and so hundreds of his followers just completely abandoned whatever life they had and went with him and they were it was established jonestown 
was established as an agricultural commune um, where they were going to grow like their own crops and plants and it was going to be perfect. I mean, that is tempting. You yeah. Know, when, you're, when you hear about it and when he's sitting there talking it up, you're like, heck yeah, I'd like to live this, leave this everyday life. And mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like back then because this is the 70s still. Yeah, 78. Yeah, so it's not like they had um, laptops or like, you know, Google at their fingertips Yeah, at that point. No. I feel like in this day and age, it'd be really difficult to get people to go without without the uh, offer of Wi-Fi and cell phones. Yeah. But at that point, yeah. I guess it wasn't really a, as much of a worry because they didn't really know that, hey, actually you can start FaceTiming people. Yeah. Know? So their community... Jonestown was called apostolic socialism is kind of the political what is the word stance that they're taking I guess okay um and that is influenced by Marxist liberation theology I couldn't tell you what that is to be honest sorry (laughs) I just could have looked it up but I didn't (laughs) And, um, Interesting. But that's what they're calling it. And okay. it's basically, he's obsessed with socialism. Mm-hmm. And he's like, our community is going to be socialism. And mm-hmm. I'm the dictator here. Right. And But he was calling it a promised land, even though he is becoming, instead of religious, it's like all politics now. Yep. And in 1978, it was officially established Jonestown and 700 people lived there at its opening 700 people came with him wow that's that's really that's a lot of people to convince to drop everything in their life and just come with you I'm like I can't even get like six people to come over for dinner like (laughs) (laughs) I know it's hard to say that like it's hard enough like oh my god too many people like people just I guess he was able to seclude people for long enough to where they felt like if this church is going here, then yeah. I'm going too. They're like, oh, I and don't was, have anything else. Yeah, like we said earlier with groupthink, if 700 people around you are all going, mm-hmm. like then that's like, 700 oh, I'm the fool of your if I don't go. closest friends and yeah. family. You know, yeah. everyone you know. And they they were like trained, I guess, to think of them as a family. And I'm not doubting. They probably really did love each other and were friends yeah. and stuff like that. So, yeah. There are videos of, like, the people coming to Jonestown. So, you can definitely, like, look that up. It's very interesting. And in these videos, people are, like, so excited. They're running around. They're like, oh, my God. It's it's so beautiful here. And it really is. It's a, it's the South, Af- South African, South American jungle. Um, it's very beautiful landscape. There's, like, colorful like toucans and everything around and they created basically this city oh, in the middle a, of the jungle a toucan yeah like the bird that's on the fruit loops um, oh. cereal box. <laughs> I guess that's what they are yeah toucans i don't know if that's actually a, a thing <laughs> you didn't know that's a thing no wait what? i didn't know toucan versus toucan that's the same thing it's the same thing. That's the same thing. Yeah, it is. But I didn't. I didn't picture <laughs> when you said toucan. I didn't picture a toucan. I pictured. Okay, sorry, toucan. <laughs> <laughs> no, just not, neither of them sound like a word at this point. <laughs> no, toucan, toucan. Oh, Maybe I'm. I just, don't know what it's... I'm particular about my birds. I guess, <laughs> even though they don't like me. Yeah. <laughs> womp womp. 
uh what, what the hell am i saying <laughs> two cans okay. take it away take it away Aaron. Um, <laughs> harry potter Aaron. reference <laughs> okay uh so it's basically the city in the jungle they had a school for the kids they had kitchens like it was it was really you know if you're moving there it it looked good you know so how did they do the whole you know setting up for it all so for a year before anybody moved there Mm -hmm. um they had like a team of people building all the housing the housing and everything there that is so cool see i mean yeah i'd probably fall for all that yeah that sounds really neat legit and you know kind of cool yeah people going out and being able to build these and it's like mission trips going out and it's a cool experience and then coming back and talking about the cool like toucans and and the beautiful (laughs) landscape yeah but it quickly like became not a utopia there like Mm -hmm. everyone thought it was going to be uh members of the church worked like really long hard days in the fields and there were like harsh punishments if they ever disobeyed Jones or like didn't listen to something he said. So it's, I mean, you have no other option. You're totally isolated. What are you going to do except work in the fields? You know, right. there's like nothing else to do. So you kind of, you had to be fully dedicated to that or you would be punished. Mm-hmm. So his son, Stephen, said he was part of the crew who went the year before to build it and he said it was like so much fun and he really enjoyed himself and that it was like this great time just him and some other you know men and women building it and he was excited for it even though he had long started suspecting his father was like yeah crazy you know but then he said that he and some other people really started to fear jim jones rather than like revere him Mm -hmm. when in the main pavilion at jonestown a throne was put there and that jim jones used to sit on it like all day with guards around him with guns like at all times and stephen said when people saw that because that was so drastic from anything else before they started to really be afraid of him yeah, and I wonder why he felt the need to do that. Like, were people threatening him at that point? It or was, did he just want to be powerful? It wasn't people in his church that were threatening him, but he was incredibly paranoid that um, the U.S. government was going to come find him and kill him or take him away. And he was just, like, he was super paranoid of people finding them, you know, like anybody Maybe he was doing something else on the side that we didn't know about and that he was, like, afraid he's going to get busted for. Oh, well, the fraud, abuse, yeah. uh, like, all the stuff they talk <laughs> about in the media. <laughs> oh, yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> say that, that it's yeah. pretty much all out. But uh, passports were confiscated so that nobody could leave. Letters in and out to like family members who were still at home in the u.s were censored you couldn't write anything disloyal at all about him and he counted disloyal as even like oh i, I want to come home and visit you or something to family members who were still in america wow. yeah and members were encouraged to rat on each other like if you hear anyone say anything negative about jonestown or jim jones or wanting to leave like 
tell me. And so they were encouraged to, like, even though they're this big, happy family, they were encouraged to, like, rat on each other and be snitches. And that's, that's like, pinning people against each other, too. That's not yeah. going to promote anybody, like, forming co- closer connections than they do to him. Yeah. Um, so a third of the population at Jonestown were children, and another third were elderly people. So mm. that's a huge part of your population who are very vulnerable and susceptible people and will most likely just go along with things, you know, or will be easy to manipulate. Yeah. Uh, millions of dollars was taken from donations to the church and from members. And obviously that is very fraudulent. Mm-hmm. And another big problem that started happening in Jonestown was they were realizing, well, the they were not making enough profit from the crops because they had a thousand people there now who need to be fed three times a day and the jungle soil is not great for the crops you're used to in yeah, right. America. Right. This is a totally different terrain and landscape and they weren't used to that. Mm-hmm. And... At this point, also, like I said, Jim Jones had completely stopped making any religious services. Everything was political all the time, 24 hours a day. Um, Stephen, his son, said that they had like a loudspeaker system so that you can hear him from anywhere. And he would just sit on his throne talking into like the loud system all day, just rants about the government rants about nuclear war and like all those things yeah. you, you don't want to hear about all day long and like paranoid rambling basically 24 hours a day and it's that torture was, yeah it's all the drugs oh oh yeah <laughs> it, and the sleep deprivation that he probably had it's too terrible. yeah at this point i you would imagine followers are like we came here to have this utopia and you are not even a preacher anymore basically you're not mm-hmm. doing anything religious it's not a church at all and he manipulated a lot of followers with like blackmail threats to their life like i'll kill you if you ever leave so that's why a lot of people were afraid to leave and he started employing like the super devout to carry guns at all times and like just patrol the jungle making sure no one was like running off and leaving wow which is terrifying you're totally trapped in this little community forever it's terrible they were forced to attend really long late night meetings um which isn't new but now they used to be sermons but now they're warnings about how the government is watching them and they had to do drills of what to do if the government suddenly came in and started taking people away and stuff like that and relatives back home in the usa were becoming very concerned about what what's happening over at jonestown because they're not really hearing much because letters are being heavily censored and stuff a few people did manage to leave jonestown and when they got home they reported to relatives and stuff that it was basically a slave camp at this point so grace stowen is like my five-year-old son john is in jonestown she's still trying to get him back and she 
went to the courts and she finally got a court order seeking custody of John and Jim Jones received this court order in the mail that he was supposed to bring John back and he was livid and this really this court order caused him to just like explode wow and he started saying they needed to practice for white night which is an emergency protocol of revolutionary suicide is what he called it and he directed dr larry shot to buy one pound of cyanide powder which is equivalent to 800 or i'm sorry 1800 lethal doses so that's tons and tons of cyanide yes and a one pound doesn't sound no like a ton but it's powerful enough um so it's getting drastically like more they had to do these suicide drills in the middle of the night like Okay, everyone, like, practice killing yourself when the government comes because they're going to come for John because Greg's did this, you know, court order. And Stephen is 19 at this point, his son, and he said he fought often with his dad. Like, you cannot do this. This is so wrong. Like, he really tried to, like, tell people at this point, like, don't play along with this. Stop. And he's fighting it. And at one point, Jim jones said you're just afraid to die you're you're a coward and stephen held a gun to his own chin and said oh i'm i'm not afraid to die like i this isn't what this is about this is about your control and then jim put a gun in his own mouth and he's like well i'm not afraid to die either and stephen is like i'm a 19 year old having this screaming fight with guns pointed at each other like that's just that's so messed up I'm sorry, when you pictured, when I pictured you saying, like, he had a gun in his mouth and he was saying this, I pictured, like, something like, because <laughs> he can't talk over a gun. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, that's <laughs> But I just, <laughs> so, I just pictured him trying to, I don't know, it's not funny, I'm sorry. I picked something up and put it in my mouth, by the way. I used a prop for that. Wow. Props. <laughs> oh god. Uh, so Leo Ryan, the congressman who was contacted, decided at this point to involve himself. And he's like, I'm gonna go to Jonestown and I'll check it out. And he went with a film crew, some journalists, and seventeen concerned relatives who had formed themselves into a group and they were calling themselves concerned relatives Mm -hmm. um and they went there with no protection because they didn't believe they needed any not really knowing oh no there was armed guards there at jonestown Mm -hmm. so when they heard about this at jonestown that a congressman was coming it was crazy There was intense preparation for this visit where Jim Jones coached people on what to say when they were questioned, because they were inevitably going to be questioned, how to act like, we love it here. It's amazing. Like, you know, prepping people on like what to say. They did more and more suicide drills, just preparing for them to come because they knew they couldn't stop these people from coming. Mm -hmm. But he was trying to control it through that. And on November 17th, 1978, 
uh, Congressman Ryan arrived in Jonestown with uh, the film crew, journalists, and some relatives of members of the church. And among them was NBC reporter Don Harris. He was called Mr. Lucky because he had had several close calls to his life while reporting in Vietnam. He was very well known as a reporter. And they all said uh, when they arrived that they, when they saw Jim Jones, he was very like sallow. Is that the word? You know? And like no, weak. Um, okay. There's, some, there's a word. I don't know. But very like sickly looking, yeah. I guess. And it really struck the reporters like, how is this sickly looking little man in so powerful and in charge like they didn't get it um because they had never heard him speak or anything you know and they had a lavish dinner prepared for the guests i mean it wasn't like fine dining but they were not eating much there so they they got like pork i think and like dessert and vegetables like they gathered the best that they had to make it look like oh we're eating totally fine here we're not starving you know and the reporters when they finally got to talk to jim jones and like interview him he would just go off on tangents and like paranoid ramblings and um he would really not really answer the questions he would just start talking about things he was paranoid about so everyone was like okay you are off your rocker you know yeah and so at the same time, it's funny how he prepped all his people and what to say, and then he couldn't control his own mouth when he was asked questions. He's high. It's a drug. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so they had these singers and dancers perform to show, like, oh, we're having fun here. And Congressman Ryan gave this famous speech saying, he's like, you know, after talking to some people here, some of you have told me that this place is the best thing that ever happened to you. And after he said that, like... And there are videos of this. You can, like, look that up. Um, uh-huh. Like, the, everybody just started, woo, yeah, like, cheering and clapping and making this loud cheering that went on for, like, so long, like, uncomfortably long. long. And the reporter, some of the reporters who survived said that, like, to them, it was you know that cheering that went on for so long and so loud like that was just like a desperation like we have to prove like oh yeah wow. we're having a great time like it wasn't genuine that's so scary yeah and it's like hundreds of people like imagine like and you can kind of see it on in the videos on the congressman's face of like he's just standing there like oh okay why is this still going on and people are like what like it's so bizarre it's like when you're at camp and it's like, okay, who can scream the loudest? Yeah. Is it this side of the crowd? Oh, I don't think you're being loud enough. How about this side? Yeah. You know, it's kind of like that where you just get this obnoxious just yelling mm-hmm. is what I imagine. Ugh, yeah. So one survivor who was a former member of the cult, his name is Vernon Gosney. He said that during this long cheering he kind of saw that people were distracted so he passed a note to a reporter 
Um, and the note said, Vernon Gosney, Monica Bagby, help us get out of Jonestown. And then he accidentally dropped the note, and a little boy in the crowd saw it and said, Hi, he passed a note. Oh. Which, uh, kid, just keep your mouth shut. Yeah, punk. <laughs> um, so Jim Jones is aware that this, he's like, what's in this note? What are you <gasps> saying? And Don Harris, the NBC reporter, showed this note to the congressman and congressman ryan said to vernon gosney he's like hey you reached out to me you asked to leave you'll definitely you'll have a seat on the plane and i'll make sure you get out and the next morning ryan came back the congressman and he said hey anyone else who wants to leave we're leaving you can come with me i'll we'll take you back and more and more people started to come forward because they were like, oh, one person, Vernon yeah. and Monica, they said they were going to leave. We we want to go. You know, it takes like that one person right. you know, most of the time. Right. So this craziness hits. Of course, this huge jungle rainforest storm comes out of nowhere just as shit is hitting the fan. Um, Why does everything play out like a movie? I know. It's crazy. And so it's like this torrential downpour and everything. And um, and I, you can see videos of, I know I keep saying that, but like if you're interested, you can see videos of this too. One woman starts screaming like, don't take my kids away. Don't you leave. Don't you dare. And the father is dragging the kids <gasps> away towards the plane because he wants them to get on the plane and leave. And the mom is against it. So like families are like being fighting apart. each other. Yeah, at this point, because one of them wants to say stay, the others don't. And so all the screaming and kind of chaos is happening. And Jim Jones is very angry and flustered that he's finding out all of a sudden all these people want to defect and leave. And he was like, I thought you were all loyal to me. And so it's getting like crazy. And it's so bizarre to watch. And um, Don Harris confronted jim jones on camera about the note like what do you have to say about this people want to leave and jones was like this is all a game this is all a big lie they're lying they're just making attention they don't really want to leave and he's like visibly flustered obviously doesn't know what to say and he's getting angry and so one of jim jones's members attacked congressman ryan at this point with a knife and this guy's name was don sly and he said i'm going to kill you and the congressman uh escaped and was unharmed by this and he was immediately taken to a truck and all the reporters and everyone they drove away they're like all right we're getting that f out of here Mm -hmm. and they drove down to the air the airstrip to get on the plane and leave and Everyone is on, like, high alert because it's, like, chaos right now. Yeah. And, um, but some of the cameramen, they're still, like, trying to document evidence. So they're filming everything. So you can, like, still uh-huh. watch this stuff. And on camera, you see a tractor approach with a bunch of armed <gasps> men in it. And they just start firing at everybody on the airstrip. And Larry Layton who is the husband of Caroline Layton earlier, who was, like, one of his top mistresses. Okay. And he is, like, devout, devout follower. Mm -hmm. He's, like, he shot Vernon Gosney, who's the man who passed the note and wanted to 
get away. Wow. Um, three times. He shot him three times and started just killing everyone who was around the plane who wanted to leave. Um, some of the reporters ran into the jungle trying to escape. Vernon Gosney collapsed and passed out after being shot three times. Mm-hmm. And he lives. He ended up living. <gasps> what? Thank God. Yeah, I know. Um, another woman, Jackie Spear, she was Congressman Ryan's um, aide, I believe. And she was shot five times um, as she was hiding behind a wheel on the airplane. And she tried, she saw Congressman Ryan shot in the neck and he fell. And then he was shot again and he died, um, unfortunately. And Jackie Spear also lived after being shot five times. A reporter who ran into the jungle came back when he heard that like Treasure. armed men um leave yeah yeah and he tried to like help the wounded who were still alive at the airplane and at the end of that incident five people were dead at the airstrip congressman leo ryan greg robinson who was a photographer bob brown who was an nbc cameraman don harris the nbc reporter and Patricia Parks, who was one of the defectors who was going to leave on the plane. Wow. And the others survived, and they're just laying on the ground wounded on the air, at the airstrip at this point. Did that guy and his kids, I don't know if you know this, but did they get away? That one guy that was trying to pull his kids away? I, I'm not sure. I don't think so. Oh. Well, actually, I, I can't say. I can't say either way. I don't know. I hope they did, because that's yeah, dad's so. just trying to save his kids. Mm-hmm. So was Don Harris, you said, is that the one that was the lucky one? Yeah, he was called Mr. Oh. Lucky because he almost died several times in Vietnam, and he didn't, and then he's murdered. Like, that's just, it's terrible. And um, so after this, Jim Jones gathers everyone into the main pavilion it's November 18th, same day. And he told everyone, we're going to commit a revolutionary act. And he said, if we can't live in peace, we will die in peace. And he knows at this point the congressman is dead. So he tells everyone, a U.S. congressman is died. We killed him and it is all of our fault. We all did this together. He's implicating everybody. So they all think, oh my gosh, like... There's no way out of this. He's like, the government is going to parachute in and kill all of us. They're going to kill your children. They're going to take us away because we did this. You are complicit in this. There's no way out for you or your kids unless we decide how we die. And a few people, a few members were not there. Laura Cole, who was the woman who nodded off and had the gun pointed at her. Mm -hmm. She was away with Stephen as well, his son. Um, and like a group of others, they were away in George, Georgetown, um, assumingly maybe to get like supplies or stuff they needed. You okay. Know? Um, and they got a message that everyone is killing themselves in Jonestown, and so they're like, "What are you talking about? What? It, I'm. It's not clear who sent that message either. Um, from the interviews I watched, um, 
but somehow they got this message and so they are freaking out like what does this mean and they went to the american embassy in georgetown to find out what was happening and nobody was like answering them nobody was talking to them there so they couldn't find anything out at this point at this point is when the followers start killing themselves Mm -hmm. and this the youngest members of the people's temple so the kids were the first to die because parents and nurses would inject their kids with syringes they would just like drop it into their mouths with the cyanide mix with um sedatives and flavor aid so it wasn't even kool-aid it was i was gonna say that off. fact I, w- I didn't know if you knew that yeah yeah kool-aid not the, not the no, kool-aid they couldn't afford kool-aid but uh yeah so unfortunately that happened and many of the mistresses of jim jones and secretaries were the ones to administer this poison to the kids first that is so sad yeah but like where is the logic i mean i know it's when you at least save the children Mm -hmm. like even if you believe that you are fully guilty as well he must have just been you know drilling it in the minds their minds that the american government was just so horrible and wanted them dead yeah that they would even kill all the children and he knew better because they're they're the ones that like are trying to protect that one kid, that five year old that yeah isn't even his. Mm-hmm. Well, might not even be his. Yeah. Okay, go um, on. Marceline, his wife, mm-hmm. is fighting hard to stop him at this point, and she's like, "You," she's telling everyone, "Stop, stop! Like, don't do this! Don't do this! You need to stop!" Like, she is physically like there are videos she's physically like trying to fight people off and there are people like holding her down and you can hear in there there are clips of jim like shouting into a microphone he's going mother mother please don't do this mother please and he's referring to her as like mother of the church you know um he's like don't fight it he's telling his wife marceline don't fight it just let it happen and she's like you're crazy and like so she tried she tried um but she was injected with the cyanide because she wouldn't take it willingly yes yeah and then he says lay down your life with dignity don't lay down your life in tears and agony which is ridiculous because dying by cyanide is slow and painful and awful that's not peaceful to me at all or dignified ugh so after marceline is seen fighting some other mothers start to fight hold their children and like kind of not they're like kind of i don't want to do this to my kid not everyone obviously but um but if this was seen being happen or seen happening Mm -hmm. um they were either held down and injected or it was poured down their throats or they were shot for not following the rules so anyone who fought back like was murdered murdered yeah and you can and that i mean if you're in that situation you see people around you being killed for fighting like it's just at that point you have no hope yeah uh you can get out in your mind Mm -hmm. 
So after all the kids were dead, um, or at least injected, um, the adults lined up to drink the laced flavor aid, and there were armed guards surrounding the pavilion to make sure nobody escaped. Um, those who ran were gunned down or injected, like I said. They were... Some people did, amazingly, escape into the jungle and ran off, but unfortunately not many. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Guyanese villagers, who also lived out in the jungle, separate from Jonestown, you know, they're natives, they, at this point, find the survivors at the airstrip. So they take in those survivors to mm-hmm. their village and treat them as best as they can unfortunately they do not have any painkillers so they were giving these survivors um guyanese rum as a sedative oh wow which is all they had really yeah. they were able to like save them because they lived but that's just painful yeah extremely painful um living with like five gunshot wounds just mm-hmm. suffering like that yeah and guyanese officials came and found bodies like all over the airstrip of those five dead people and then larry layton who was the one who shot vernon Mm -hmm. um gosney uh he was arrested at the airstrip because they they knew he was the one who was firing and killed those people was he still there what was was yeah i guess he was still there i think it happened pretty quickly i guess so this is happening like kind of simultaneously, I'm assuming, okay. if they caught him in time to arrest him. Right. Because I guess the villagers would hear gunshots and stuff and pretty come as quick oh, as possible. You know, that's what I'm assuming the timeline is, you know, I don't know for sure, but he was arrested at the airstrip. So mm-hmm. he was there. Um, and then they start moving into Jonestown to find the other people and by the time people get there unfortunately there were many 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 people dead wow and um a lot of people were found with their like arms wrapped around each other (sighs) they just were holding each other dying and ooh, that's like have you ever seen like the pictures no i haven't i haven't it's really really rough to look at and because i mean the pictures are just available of like mm-hmm. the bodies everywhere and um it's really hard to look at it's really sad and it's really unbelievable that kind of thing would happen that there are hundreds of people dead um a few like i said managed to escape into the jungle and a few dozen members survived and the people who I said were in Georgetown at this time, Georgetown, they were still trying to find out information. And the first report they heard back was there were 300 bodies found. Oh my gosh. And only two people did not die of cyanide. And that is Jim Jones, who died (sighs) to a gunshot wound to the head. Okay. Who decided i don't you know i'm telling people this cyanide is peaceful and great but i don't want to die that way so yeah scumbag and then the only other person is his personal nurse annie moore 
who was also shot in the head. So it's unknown if the two of them committed suicide or if Annie, he was like, hey, Annie, shoot me. I can't do it to myself. If she shot him or if he shot himself and shot her or if she shot herself. So there's no way of knowing, but they were the only two people to die of gunshot wounds. Well, besides Um, the ones that would get gunned down when they'd be running away, right? Yeah. So some people who were shot like running away. Okay. But but if you were in the compound, you had died of cyanide. And so now the report for the people in Jones, uh, Georgetown is going up. And now the death toll is at 405 bodies counted. And at this point, the U.S. Army has become involved and they're getting there as quickly as possible. And as they're searching, um, at the end of the day, after all the bodies had been accounted for, the total is 913 people were dead at Jonestown. And 276 of them were children. Wow. It's the youngest was five weeks old. And the oldest was 97. It's it's just like astronomical like number of people of a mass suicide. I can't even imagine thinking uh, just an entire group of people, that many people thinking the same thing and i mean being forced into it as well and just fall falling i don't know it's it's so hard because although some of them willingly took it it's still i i would still consider it murder on his point Mm -hmm. i mean just with that group think and i mean how sleep deprived and tortured they were Mm -hmm. that's so hard they were coerced into doing it you know, it wasn't, even if you took it voluntarily, you were still told to take it. And then the people, yeah, I mean, and even the people that might have taken it voluntarily, they might have, like, if they had the option, might have changed their mind or decided not to, but they didn't really have an option. They were seeing people getting murdered, and that's just so much more traumatizing and horrifying, like, and these people that were just trying to join a church initially, and were just following this man that at the time was doing really great work Mm -hmm. it's it's just so sad to see like it all come down to this because it could have been something so great and wonderful and it's scary that one person could have that much control over um, almost a thousand people and isn't it kind of weird that the people that were closest to him you know his wife and his son mm-hmm. were against it the most. Yeah. I mean, she's the one that's screaming, yelling, don't do it, don't do it. And then, and I, the whole time you're we talking, you were saying, like, oh, Steven says this, he says this. I'm like, how is he, how is he still alive? Because wouldn't yeah. that be the people that would go first? Mm-hmm. I, that's, I was really confused by that initially. I think if he was there that day, he would have died like marceline being held down oh yeah obviously he he would have fought it knowing that they had fought often but i if he was there he probably would have died and he says that he has he still has dreams about he wasn't there but he says he still has dreams about that day and that the guilt like replays like every single day and 
that's just something so awful to live with your mother your father your siblings and everyone you knew Mm -hmm. is dead like i couldn't imagine living with that imagine if someone had stepped up and killed him at some point yeah i wonder if that would have just ended right then Mm-hmm. or if, if, if they would have lived there or gone home like who knows but this event until 9-11 jonestown was the largest number of american civilian casualties in a single non-natural event so not like a natural disaster or something Ugh. which is crazy that's a staggering number i mean you said over 900 people mm-hmm. 913 Oh, that's so sad. Yeah. So, $10 million were in the church's accounts at this point, and there was $1 million in cash and gold that was in Jonestown. And Jim Jones willed all this money, or the majority of it, to the Soviet Union. Someone who was against the government so much was like, yeah, I'll donate it to the Soviet Union. Uh, It just (sighs) doesn't make sense. But thankfully, everyone completely ignored his will. Thank you. um, And the money instead was given towards the removal of the bodies and to the families who filed wrongful death claims. Yes. And the uh, Guyanese people tore down Jonestown completely within weeks of the bodies being taken away. So it's jungle now. Yeah, I think I don't. I don't know exactly if there's still jungle there, but yeah. like it, Jonestown is not there, so it was completely torn down. Ugh, good. Yeah, that's just so sick. Yeah, he's just such a messed up person, and everyone hears it and says, "Oh, drink the Kool Aid," but like mm-hmm. that really, it's kind of a messed up joke because it's it really, it really is. talks yeah. about just knowing what actually happened that day it's terrible and like the the saying is like you know about conformity and stuff but right if when you really think about it it's like it's so kind of messed up to say yeah Yeah. i know but Uh, i guess that teaches a lesson like just because everyone else is doing it doesn't mean that it's the right thing to do like if you don't feel right about it and then but it's just so hard because it's like when you when you see the uh you know actually wait okay Going back to that whole picnic thing mm-hmm. where he got shot. Yeah. What if all those guys, what if they pay, he paid them all just to make it up? All the people that Maybe he it. did. Yeah. And I they mean, were saying, oh, we saw it. This is what happened. Mm-hmm. But really, like, nothing even happened. They were just getting higher on a campfire and they're like, oh my gosh, okay, let's say this. Yeah, I feel like that is a big possibility. Because, I mean, how else do you fake it? You can't do that by yourself. Yeah. You need others. Right. To believe it. Right. Yeah. Oh. So that is Jim Jones and Jonestown. Well, you know what? I'm glad I didn't make a full rainbow. He doesn't deserve a full rainbow. No, he, he doesn't. He deserves my Roy G. Buh. No, <laughs> I said it wrong. Roy G. Buh. I don't know. Whatever it is. <laughs> Without the violet and the A yellow. partial rainbow. Yes. I'm uh, sorry that I sound so stupid this episode. I, uh... <laughs> I like I I prefaced her eulogy last time. <laughs> eulogy. <laughs> See, I'm stupid. <laughs> I told you I'm stupid. Epilogue. <laughs> 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 
I'm an idiot. That's that's moral of the story. I'm stupid. Why are you, why are you listening? <laughs> I'm just kidding. You are listening because they're interesting, and sometimes I'm intelligent. Listen to the last episode. I think I sounded intelligent quite often. <laughs> oh my god. Can we end this episode? Yeah. Yeah. On that note, I'm Casey, and I'm Emily, and you just heard a sprinkle of sugar, a dash of murder. <laughs>